0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. In a recent show, I had the pleasure of interviewing Emily Varen, a board certified behavior analyst with over 22 years of experience whose work over the last 12 years has been dedicated to improving the sleep habits of children diagnosed with Autism Spectrum Disorder, also known as ASD. If you haven't listened to that episode, I would encourage you to do so, as Emily shared with us how up to 80% of children with ASD experience debilitating sleep disturbance. She also helped us understand why children with ASD are more prone to sleep problems to include them having an imbalance in their neurological system, a more active sympathetic nervous system. They have higher cortisol and low melatonin levels as a result of the brain not regulating the sympathetic and parasympathetic systems correctly. She also walked us through some of the consequences secondary to a lack of good sleep, like hyperactivity and the child being easily distracted or the tendency for the child to have more severe repetitive behaviors, or them experiencing an increase in aggression, hyperactivity, and social difficulties, not to mention the toll on the caregivers. And she shared with us ways she analyzes and evaluates sleep disturbance. And lastly, Emily shared with us some strategies to improve sleep in children with ASD. Well, it's this last topic that kept us interested in bringing Emily back on with us today as part of our clinician series, where we'll be taking you into the therapy room itself, allowing you to hear and learn what occurs between Emily and the patients that she treats. Emily's company, Ready Set Sleep, provides education, CEUs, sleep program development, and individual consultation to families seeking support with their children's sleep. She's creatively combined the science of behavioral analysis with the science of sleep to assist her patients. And she creates learning opportunities for BCBAs to enhance their practice by providing context for the way sleep and behavior can both complement and sabotage one another. Well, that introduction, Emily, I want to welcome you back to the show. So nice to have you here today.
0: Thank you. I couldn't have said all of that better myself.
1: <laughs> well, those are some good things. I, I so enjoyed our last time together. And listeners, I do encourage you to listen to that show. It was really, really good. And some things that we may not understand that are some causative and explanatory pieces to why sleep in children with ASD actually is real and pretty significant. So it's great to have you back. Thanks.
0: Thank you Thank you.
1: Hey, you know, today I, I would so love our listeners as part of this clinician series to get a real clear understanding of your work. So in understanding your work and your process, both in terms of evaluation of sleep disturbances and what your treatment approaches include, let's do it this way. Walk me through how you'd work with me and my ASD child. Okay. Starting after the phone call, we get a first appointment with you and we walk into your office Walk us through what I'd be experiencing with you.
0: Nowadays, it's most likely you would log into your Zoom. Got it, okay. (laughs) Um, The first thing I always ask is, what are the main sleep concerns? And most families will bring to me a suite of the same, Mm -hmm. (laughs) usually the same sorts of issues with extreme sleep latency, difficulty falling asleep, difficulty maintaining sleep. So difficulty like sleeping through the night and early wake-ups. Some families will also bring to me with older children daytime sleep that's that's becoming problematic as well. So, you know, over the age of about three years old, we don't expect to see daytime sleep anymore traditionally. So from the time we start, I start asking questions because even though those three main components of delayed sleep onset, multiple night wakings, early wakings, things like that are very common, yeah. what drives those issues. So those are sort of the symptoms of whatever else is going on. Right. So it's my job to really drill down and take those three problems as not the core problem, but as the symptom yes. and figure out what the core problem is. So okay. Before we meet, I typically send a whole bunch of questionnaires. <laughs> I send a sleep assessment and a treatment tool, which was developed by Dr. Gregory Hanley back in, I think, 2005. He's been using it a while. Since then, you know, our, our technology has advanced. And so I've found some different things that. I'd like to add to the sleep assessment and treatment tool. So I have a separate Google form that families fill out to sort of fill in those gaps, such as what is the client's current schedule? What does morning wake up time look like on average? Is there an average morning wake up time? Is there any daytime sleep? What time is sleep offered? What time does the child actually fall asleep? Those are really key components to figuring out where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. So if there's inconsistencies with morning wakeups, there's going to be inconsistencies with bedtimes as well. Yes. So we sort of start peeling back the onion from there.
1: Do you find that when you're looking at those three areas, do you find that there's usually just one, or do you find that there's sometimes two, maybe all three take place?
0: It's usually all three. All three. And, it, and it's pretty cyclical. So if we can okay. kind of plug the hole, so to speak, with one of them, typically the other's remedy. Got it. So, you know, I mean, look, if a parent, let's just give a very basic, very simplistic example where I wouldn't even treat you if you came to me with this problem after the first question, you know, does the child have a consistent morning wake up time? Let's say you come to me, your main problem is sleep latency. They they Mm -hmm. don't fall asleep. I I never know when they're going to fall asleep at night. Never know. It's so inconsistent so unpredictable. Sometimes it's midnight, sometimes it's seven o'clock, whatever. And my first question would be, what time do they wake up in the morning? If you tell me they have no consistent morning wake up time that some days they sleep until noon and some days they wake up mm-hmm. at seven and some, you know, on the weekends they sleep till two. And right. on the weekdays, they're up by, you know, six 30. I go, I don't need to treat you. Let's do this for the next week. Wake them up at the same time every morning put them to sleep at the same time every night. Let's see if it goes away.
1: So that could be an easy fix right that,
0: there. That can just be an easy fix right yeah. there where we don't even need to go down the whole route of assessment. Let's just see.
1: That's just good sleep hygiene, just in basics. Yeah. So you want to rule that out Is Let's could just this just see. be it? Yeah, good. Yep. It.
0: And then I'll follow up with you in a week and good. we will see. And if it's remedied itself, Godspeed. <laughs> 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 Goodbye and good, good and luck. luck. And, and if it hasn't remedied, then we look at other other factors that could be happening at bedtime with routines and things like that. Then, then we treat and we, we pull back, you know, we, we unpackage un- the whole gift and go from there.
1: Yeah. That's kind of nice. If that could just simply be that, that'd be a nice, a nice quick remedy. Tell me, you know, in our, in our first show, we had talked about some of the causes and I went over them in the introduction, but you know, you're looking at sleep, latency, disturbance during sleep, early awakenings, just briefly, as you're going through that, that, that the, the questionnaires you do and the kind of self-report from the parents, mm-hmm. What are some of the thoughts you begin to have of where some of these things might originate? The symptoms, latency, yep. disturbance, early awakening that's just showing you something's going on at a deeper level and the core problems. Give us some idea again, remind us of what some of those core problems could be.
0: So often it comes down to bedtime. Okay. So look, if, if there's an inconsistent morning wake up time, that's, that's pretty much a recipe for inconsistent bedtimes. So simple, easy peasy. It's not always that simple, right? So then we really look at sleep hygiene and what's going on leading up to bedtime. So we talk about screen time. I think in our last episode, we talked about how, how blue light coming off of our, our smart screens can suppress or delay melatonin production. So that's, you know, if a parent says they're, they're quite screen dependent throughout the day, I asked if they're also screen dependent for falling asleep. Yeah. The answer is yes. We tick that box and we go, okay, that's a huge factor that's going to contribute to sleep latency, but let's ask some more questions because it might not be the only thing, right? You know, we talk about activity levels during the day, jumping, which is very characteristic of children on the autism spectrum is this need to jump. We often see children with trampolines in the home, yoga balls in the home, they do a lot of bouncing up and down as a as part of their sensory regulation repertoire, let's call it. But that is a sleep stealer. The up and down vestibular motion from an occupational therapy standpoint is an alerting sensory experience and can delay sleep onset. So wow. it could be sometimes just as simple as saying, okay, we have to create some offset here. Let's just create, you know, if this is a child who's just jumping, bouncing all day long. Yeah. They're gonna need some offset all day long so that their body isn't expecting that sensory experience all day long and we transition it to other things. I I never tell a family stop doing this. Mm -hmm. It's more like, okay, here's what screens do. Here's what sensory input does or up and down vestibular motion. Here's what the jumping does. How can we transition this to different experiences So that we're not leaving the family with a whole bunch of behaviors, right? Because if we just say stop, there's probably most likely going to be behavior fallout. you bet. just stopping those things. So how do we transition away from those things for the sake of sleep? Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is going through a new bedtime routine, creating a new system for falling asleep. That doesn't involve screen time, that doesn't involve jumping, let's say, getting those wiggles out, which is a myth. Don't ever suggest getting wiggles out, because that just that will delay sleep say getting the wiggles out before bedtime is a lie, a lie we've been taught. But yeah, I mean, really creating a new calming routine that's yes. that involves some preferred activities that are calming instead of stimulating that are going to contribute to melatonin production rather than steal mm-hmm. melatonin production. For many families, this is a hard pill to swallow just hearing that these things have to go away because they are bi-directionally reinforcing for the families and for the child, right? So screen time is reinforcing for the child. It keeps them quiet, let's say, occupied. Bouncing on a yoga ball or jumping on a trampoline is occupying. So for a child with a perceived low repertoire of play or self-engagement or something like that, taking away those two things close to bedtime seem very daunting and scary for the families. Yeah. And I recognize that. Yeah. So we have to kind of go through an inventory of what else can we do in the hour and a half before sleep is expected. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be these other things, but that are going to be pleasurable, are going to be, you know, there is going to be buy-in from the child. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be so daunting for the family that they're going to be now having to control all these major behaviors. How do we make that shift?
1: I really like that. You know, you're talking about, it sounds like kind of this tiered approach. Sometimes, you know, we just want to dive into something deeper than we need to sometimes. Sometimes it's just, you know, what time you go to bed, and what time you wake up and we can start right there. with, you with. Or maybe what we talked about, kind of a tiered approach here yeah. with some just real simple approaches, asking questions that might allow for kind of new routines or maybe some new behaviors. You're not saying, well, just stop this and yeah. good luck. And, you know, kind of white knuckle it until they adjust. It's it, <laughs> instead, it's instead, what do we, what if we change this and maybe take this away, but introduce something else that can mm-hmm. be helpful not not overly disruptive but also kind of facilitating kind of a condition before sleep that will right. facilitate things being better once they are asleep so i right. like that tiered approach so let's say we exhaust some of those things and we find out that okay we put those in those those in place but there's still some other things going on where would you go from there
0: so then the next set of questions i ask is how the child actually falls asleep mm. so when When the brain dips into that first phase of sleep, which is that kind of fluttering, drowsy eyes, sort of, I'm getting sleepy here and I'm not fighting it anymore. What's happening in the environment? Who's there? Is something there that then disappears? So the most common way that that sort of plays out is a caregiver is laying down with the child to help them fall asleep. Okay. And then they sneak out of the room because the Mm -hmm. child has fallen asleep. (laughs) but then the way sleep works in the brain is that eventually we phase into light phases of sleep where wakings naturally occur. And the brain naturally has a very slight awakening and the brain wakes up and goes, where'd everybody go?
1: Exactly. I'm alone. (laughs) And,
0: And then, yeah, I'm alone. I don't know how to comfort myself back to sleep because what precipitated sleep for me is no longer present. So that could be a light was on. So we see this all the time. I see this in preschoolers in general. Oh yeah, you know they now they have fears, right? Now they monsters and things like that sure. come out in the preschool ages and in the preschool years. Monsters, scary things, it's scary. That that kind of becomes part of their developmental process. <laughs> That happens in preschool. And so we see a lot of times kids asking to leave the light on at bedtime and the light on, you know, or the bathroom light on or the bathroom door open or the bedroom door open or what have you. And then us being the great parents that we are and the very conscientious, you know, caregivers and homeowners and things like that. After they fall asleep, we go in and turn the light off (laughs) or we or we close the bedroom door, or we, you know, turn off the bathroom light or close the, the very
1: things. Door. Yeah. The, 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 the very things that provide us some self soothing and reassurance.
0: Yes. And then yeah. we get preschoolers who are having multiple night awakenings. Sure. And we think it's because they're scared, because they're waking up saying they're scared, but which could be, you know, it's plausible. But really, the reason that they have become, in, in big air quotes, scared is because. The thing that helped them not be scared at bedtime is,
1: is removed.
0: Is removed. Yeah. Yeah. So we just keep those things in mind that whatever is present at fall asleep time, mm-hmm. not just bedtime, but at fall asleep time need to be present all night long and not change in order to prevent those overnight awakenings and those disruptive really awakenings when the child comes and seeks the caregiver support again.
1: We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com/bht and enter promo code BHT15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com/bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Really good. These are very practical, very doable. Huh. Mm -hmm. Maybe I hadn't thought about that, or at least least I get to check Mm -hmm. the box on it. These aren't some big, you know, technical, wow, it's going to be just, you know, whole life, you know, changing. These are some really practical things that maybe can have some big outcome.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's really good.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Hey, I'm like, I I wish I had thought of it all myself. All I did was kind of put it all together.
1: Well, together for
0: people to make it consumable
1: <laughs> yeah well don't 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 underestimate that we don't always have to you know recreate the mousetrap but yeah. we get to put it in a way where it's applicable you know I, I said at the very beginning you've done a very nice job of being creative in bringing the science of these two areas to, together, sleep and also the natural parts of those with, you know, the, the ASD sleep disturbance. you've done don't don't underestimate the creativity <laughs> and how that and how that becomes very effective in the way you've done it. So continue to walk me through this. So you walk yeah. my, me and my child through these things. We get to check these things with you. Where do we, yeah, where do we so, go from there? So
0: typically what I evaluate for is how difficult the process is going to be of removing the caregiver from the fall asleep connection. Okay. Or, you know, create some kind of a more independent way of falling asleep. Mm-hmm. So that is kind of where it all changes depending on the client, depending on the caregiver be depending on the behavioral repertoire, depending on the age, depending on all of that we create a plan for let's say taking you know a caregiver out of that falling asleep okay. what precipitates sleep for that particular organism let's call it right because it looks different for you know it looks different for everyone for some caregivers they say oh well I'll just sleep with them and that's fine and I go great that that will fix the thing you know a lot of times we see this cross-culturally is Mm -hmm. families going oh I thought it wasn't okay to sleep with you know I was told by a supervisor that I shouldn't sleep with my Mm seven-year-old to which I say look you know We are very unique in the Western world to have one bed for every butt, you know, most people world over sleep in a family bed or a family room or they sleep, you know, their living room is their bedroom where at night they pull all the mattresses into the living room and the family sleeps together there there's nothing developmentally or systemically wrong with that. So, you know, if that's the choice of the family, I go, great problem solved, sleep with your kid. (laughs) If that's, you know, if that's something that they had already considered, but maybe had Mm -hmm. decided along the way through whatever recommendations wasn't appropriate, but in their minds, they were going like, you know, I grew up sleeping in the family Mm -hmm. bed until I was married. Very common cross culture. Very, very common. So Yeah. So, so I, I kind of, you know, go, okay, what, what are your desires? What are your goals? Is your goal to sleep separate from your child? Yes or no. Is your goal to have your child sleep outside of your bedroom? Yes or no. Is your goal to have them bed share with their sibling or room share with their sibling or get into a bunk bed or what is your sleep goal? What does that look like? What is the final destination for sleep that is going to be sustainable over time? And those goals look different from family to family. Okay. So I take that and then I go, okay, from there, let's build a plan to let's say, get you out of the mix. Because look, if it's something like a lighting situation or something like that, I usually just say, look, how resistant are you or how accepting are you to just leaving the light on all the note? all night long. Mm -hmm. If they're like, Oh, I didn't realize that that even what it was, what it was like, let's just leave the light on. Then again, problem solved. If that was the initial problem, typically what the most work of what I deal with, the the most programming I do is getting Mm -hmm. caregivers out of the bed.
1: Why do you, why do you focus? I I work in a very cross-cultural, multicultural, you know, mm-hmm. Hawaii is the melting pot, you know, the Pacific. We have <laughs> we have so many different cultures yep. here, which I absolutely love. Yep. And different cultures have different sleep habits and people mm-hmm. don't think twice. However, what they do experience at times is when there needs to be some individuation or mm-hmm. some differentiation, you know, for the child going through things, a lot of that is hard. And also some of the self-soothing techniques that we want our children to develop along the way is, you know, one of our earliest milestones is to learn how to self-soothe enough to go to sleep. So, but what you're saying right here is maybe you are kind of leaning towards helping the child learn to sleep or put themselves to sleep and stay asleep or put themselves back to sleep if they wake up by themselves. Is that correct?
0: Correct. And that just depends on what the family brings to me because, you know, I, I never assume that that's what the family wants. Yeah. Because of that cross-cultural, multicultural, you know, dynamic that occurs sure. around sleep, right? Yeah. Those those different philosophies. So I, I usually ask, is it something you desire to sleep mm. separately from your child or to have them have more independence and to take yourself out of that falling asleep? Yeah. Many parents say, yes, I'm done. It, it's achieved its shelf life. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm right. not sleeping well because yes. especially in the toddler population, I think sometimes caregivers don't realize that co sleeping means getting an elbow in the rib in the Mm. middle of the night. Isn't that true? (laughs) Or getting throat punched in the middle of the night, or getting, you know, because children don't sleep like matchsticks. They sleep like capital letters.
1: Absolutely. Like the
0: K, and they sleep like the T, and they sleep like the L. And they don't, you know, maintain their space until, you know, early school age, you know, really they don't sleep like matchsticks for some years. (laughs) So oftentimes families are, are not getting the sleep they need by Mm -hmm. co-sleeping or, you know, if, if it's not a co-sleeping situation, it could take hours to help the child fall asleep while Mm -hmm. they're laying in the bed. And now it has become intrusive to the, the caregiver's opportunity to provide themselves some self-care in the evening yes, because exactly. they're spending so long helping their child fall asleep.
1: Absolutely. And I would imagine relationships get challenged and where's Relations- the time for the couple uh, and, yes. and just, and just time to just decompress, you know, from your yes. days. I, yes. I think that's a really good point.
0: And, and some of us need that and some of us don't. And, and I really take the family's lead on what their desires are, what their goals are if their goal is to sleep separately, if their goal is to have some some couple's time in the evening, if yeah. if their desire long-term is to have the child in their own bed, in their own room, then that's what we program for.
1: Got it. That's really good. Hey, tell me, you know, as we're talking about these very practical, very, you know, I think really doable approaches, I started out the show and in our first show together talked about how there are some real explanations for why the child is going through some of these things, the imbalance in the neurological system, more active Mm -hmm. sympathetic nervous system, high cortisol, low melatonin, all these things are significant and explanatory kind of some of the core issues that could be going on aside just from, you know, sleep, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, but these are some deeper uh, explanatory pieces to this. Do you find that what we're talking about right now in terms of, treatment approaches, things for them to implement that these underlying causes at a deeper level are actually being positively affected because of these strategies that are going on. What 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 do you notice? And I might we need to notice... go and, and might we need to go deeper at sometimes too?
0: Right. I mean so what we see in the in the consumer, right? So in the client, we see a decrease in anxiety.
1: Yeah
0: right because we're programming it to calm them for bedtime yes and we're creating consistency at bedtime and consistency and calm are going to naturally bring down very those good. anxious behaviors because now the system has become predictable really good and i never start off with sleep training which is what we're talking about like getting the family out of the right. out of the falling asleep we don't start there that's the very final frontier Once we have a consistent bedtime, once we have a consistent falling asleep time, once we have achieved a consistent circadian rhythm, once we have a predictable fall asleep time, a predictable wake up time in the morning, once all of that is in place, now we have a well slept brain.
1: Really good. So those are prerequisites to get to that point. And then we can, yes,
0: then we have what to work with behaviors are down, perhaps language acquisition has increased anxiety is down, caregivers feel more confident, everyone feels better. Now all we have left is this tiny little problem of falling asleep with the child. But I encourage families to actually in a very counterintuitive way, you know, and, and when you talk about getting creative sometimes with these things, I often encourage the families in the short term with a very short term goal, never more than five to seven days sleeping with the child just for the purposes of regulating the circadian rhythm and for getting the child to be well slept. Got it. Then we have a much more regulated and consistent and predictable system to then implement some kind I of like that. training program. That's
1: really good. So you're and setting yourself sounds- up for success right there. Yes. Let's just, even if it's hard, do yes. it.
0: And, and it's counterintuitive it. and parents go you want me to sleep with them I'm here to get out of their bed. Right. <laughs> right. I like, hold but- on, hold on, hold on. We are going to eliminate yeah. night wakings first. You're going to sleep with them so they don't they don't wake up through the night That's so, so no one's on So everyone sleeps great for 5 That's to so 7 good. nights yeah, and like then we work on taking you out of that. Then we work on fading you out of that plan. Everyone is going to be better attitudes, more engaged, yeah. less behaviors, less yeah. anxious, all of those awesome benefits of a few nights of really awesome sleep.
1: Really good.
0: And then we move into the And then
1: we can work. So I suck know. it up for five days. You know, you're going to be at a whole different place <laughs> at that point in time. And then we can... Implement these other things. Yes, so and good. then it's
0: just blind trust. You just have to trust me.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> you
0: don't have to trust me, and you know, setting up the caregivers for knowing there's an end point, and not, and, and we're not leaving them high and dry, and saying, okay, well, yeah, just just do this after five nights, and then you know, I'll check back with you in two months. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, I think it's so good. I was going to ask you know, along the way, you know, what are some of the milestone changes you might we we might expect to see? But you're naming them right now. Well-slept sure. brain. Allows, you know, for just kind of a calmer place, increased consistency in things, probably difference in, in, in attitudes. A good night's sleep is very underrated, you know, and just supremely kind of how that affects everything.
0: underrated. Supremely yeah. underrated. And, you know, just from a health standpoint, we might find children who are finicky eaters suddenly eating, children who are yeah. overeating suddenly regulating their, their appetite a little bit better, just so many things that are benefited, even after just, just one night or two of, you know, a healthy night's sleep, whatever that looks like for the child, it could be 10 hours, nine hours, eight hours, just depends on the age.
1: Folks, pardon the interruption, but we will continue this discussion on our next show. I want to thank our guest, Emily Varen, for coming on our show today. For more information about Ready, Set, Sleep, please visit readysetsleep.com. For more information about Ready, Set, Sleep and their various services, please visit readysetsleep.com slash services. For you practitioners interested in CEUs around sleep therapy, please visit readysetsleep.thinkific.com. If you'd like to get in contact with Emily directly, please visit readysetsleep.com slash contact dash us. And lastly, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavioral Health Today.
0: We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.